Good morning. Good to see you in the house of the Lord this morning. Glad that you're with us. Well, here we are to worship God in this house, His house. And so let's turn our hearts and our minds to worship Him in spirit and in truth, recognizing that He has forgiven our sins. He has cleansed us from all unrighteousness. That He has adopted us and calls us sons and daughters in His family. And let us go and honor Him and glorify Him this morning with our thoughts, our prayers, our tongues, our hearts. Let us go now in spirit and truth and worship God. Thank you. If you will, remain standing as we turn to God's Word, Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I will preach on verses 1 through 5, but I want to read verses 1 through 10 this morning. Follow along in your Bible or as printed in your bulletin. Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Thank you. you may be seated. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come now asking, O Lord, that you would pierce our hearts, that you would renew our minds, that we would again uh, see and hear your gospel, your word Teach us to love Christ even more today. Give us faith, the faith of a mustard seed. May it be a small word that we hear today that sparks something in us, convicts us with your Holy Spirit, moves us to obedience through faith. Lord, may we see Christ again today through your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may have heard the phrase, peace and purity. The peace and purity of the church. The peace and purity of the congregation. Maybe this is a new phrase to you. Maybe it's not. What is meant by this phrase, peace and purity? Think about it. And let's see what God's Word has for us today. Let's turn back in our Bibles to Galatians chapter 2. 
Galatians chapter 2, and let us look at this passage together and see, again, Paul defending himself, his use of the gospel, how he addresses the church of Galatia through this epistle. Let me read again verses 1 through 5 of chapter 2. The Word of God says, Then after fourteen years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into, into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you." What does it mean to keep the peace and purity of the church? You know, we as Americans can mess up food, can't we? We can take the best food and make it just something atrocious. Somebody told me the other day, and I know I'm late to the program, but somebody told me the other day about a um, donut burger. A donut burger. Literally a hamburger in between two halves of a donut and someone said that this is called the, the Luther burger named after Luther Vandross don't know if that's true or not but um, we'll go with it so the Luther burger or the donut burger now think about it for a moment you have a combination of two foods normally by themselves uh, are not a problem right most of us don't have a problem with a donut most of us don't have a problem with a hamburger but somehow we mix the two Now, I also found out that KFC has this in the chicken form. So you can have a chicken sandwich on donut bread. Uh, and it's just a glazed donut. I don't know if you put chocolate or sprinkles and all that stuff on it. That, that probably would really go over the top. But why do I use this illustration? And you can think of your own foods, right? You think of fried Snickers bars, fried butter, fried Oreos, you name it. There are a ton of combinations of food. You see, again, a donut by itself isn't necessarily weird. <laughs> it appeals to pretty much everyone. A hamburger by itself appeals to a lot of people as well. But when you put these things together, the appeal seems to dwindle. There are not a lot of us going to go around and get a donut burger. It's like that with peace and purity and the church. You see, on the side of peace, we understand what peace means. We understand what, what it means to have peace. It means you're not at war. It means you're not battling. It means everything's good. Everyone is getting along. That's peace. And then on the other side, you have purity. And we understand that, right? You don't put a hamburger on a donut. That's impure. 
Purity means integrity, keeping the faith. And we apply those to the church or to the Christian faith, right? It's we live together in peace as brothers and sisters in Christ. Or we keep the faith integral based off of God's Word, Scripture. The problem comes in when we take the peace and purity and put them in the same sentence with one conjunction. And we try to make sense of peace and purity. Paul here is writing to that very issue. Peace and purity in the church of Galatia surrounding the gospel message. We'd already talked about the Judaizers and those that Paul, uh, those who have secretly slipped in. Paul is writing to the Galatians saying, those folks have done something to, not that there is another, to the gospel and, and, and are sharing with you another gospel. A false gospel, if you will. And we as Christians can do that very same thing here. In church, we can become very confused when we take peace and purity and put them together and try to make sense of what's going on. And I think Paul has some things to teach us in these first five verses. And so this morning, just so you're aware, uh, peace and purity is going to kind of be the springboard here. Um, but really what I'm talking about is Christianity. And so when I say Christianity or the church, I'm using those terms synonymously, although we would nuance those out and say of the Christian faith, the church is the people who hold that faith. The people who hold that faith make up the church. And so when I say Christianity, I use it synonymously this morning only for the church. Those who are believers in Jesus Christ who hold the faith of Jesus Christ. So what are these principles? First of all, Christianity is connectional. You see, Paul is showing us in verses 1 and 2 that Christianity is connectional, both at the local level, right? He starts off with, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus along with me. So at the very local level, it's connectional. There's a relationship with two other individuals. And then going to Jerusalem here is uh, going to a connected, big picture connection, connected to a group of people. In particular, the apostles. Christianity is connectional. One way to say this is Christianity means you're a part of something bigger than yourself. Christianity is being a part of God's mission. Not my mission, not your mission, not the mission of Thompson Presbyterian Church, but a part of God's mission. Sometimes I think we lose sight of this. We lose sight of the fact that we are connected to one another and connected 
to others outside of this local congregation. Paul connected to Barnabas and Titus, but also connected to the other churches. He's writing to Galatia. Somehow there's a connection. He's going to Jerusalem to be held accountable for what he's preaching and teaching. Isn't that the point of him going to Jerusalem? Paul goes to say, I need someone to hold me accountable for the gospel that I preach, lest I preach in vain. Lest I preach something not the gospel. Paul is basically saying, I don't want to be out here by myself doing this all alone. I'm not out here like a rogue minister, a rogue missionary, if you will, and telling the guys in Jerusalem that they're on their own. And I'm out here on my own. No, he sees the connection and says, you know what? Maybe I need to go and make sure that I'm not running in vain. Make sure that Peter and I are on the same page or preaching the gospel has been presented. And again, part of this is he's bringing up uh, his defense of the gospel and his defense of his apostleship. We talked about that a few weeks ago. But here Paul then is going back. Now let's talk about this. Paul actually, historically, if we go back to Acts, Paul actually goes to Jerusalem in his missionary context four times. So when Paul talks about going to Jerusalem, don't automatically assume you know which time he's going. The time that Paul is speaking of here in this verse 1 and 2 is his time going to Jerusalem his second time. If you go to Acts 12.25, you'll see that Paul is, is mentioned here by Luke as coming back to Jerusalem with the offerings of the churches of uh, the Greek churches and the churches of Asia. And he's coming back to Jerusalem. This is prior to the Jerusalem council. This is prior to the forthcoming, or the fourth time he goes to Jerusalem, to actually confront Peter. We'll talk about that later. Right now, this is early enough in, in his history that he's basically going to Jerusalem to deliver a message and speak privately to some individuals about the gospel. We know that Paul mentions elsewhere, don't we, about this connectedness. Isn't it Paul that writes extensively about the body of believers? The church being a body? Christianity is about being connected to one another. And maybe you remember these passages, maybe you don't. Write them down, look them up later. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27, he talks about being one body and many members. Ephesians 3, 6, he talks about this connectedness being a mystery. That it's not just, I, I pick up the phone, or not at that time, but now, pick up the phone and call and that makes me connected. No, I'm somehow united to these individuals. And Ephesians 4, 4 says so even more. One body, one spirit. See, Christianity is about being connected. Paul also talks about, in other places, 1 Corinthians 6, 13-20, what this means to be connected as a body in relation to food and physical relationships. And again, in Colossians 1.22, he reminds us that in that connectedness, we have one head and his name is Jesus Christ. 
And so it shouldn't surprise us that Paul, out of what he has written, is practicing connectedness. He's practicing connectedness at the local level with Barnabas and Titus, and also with those in Jerusalem writing to Galatia. This is very important to understand as Christians, and here's why. We live in a disconnected and postmodern world. We are so disjointed as a world, as a society, as a community, and we don't even know what it means to connect. Somebody was telling me the other day that they, they drive in literally to their, uh, to their housing development and they sit on the porch and they just kind of observe people a little bit. And people will drive home, open the garage, go in, close the garage, and be, never be seen again. Maybe that's your neighbor. Maybe that's you. But we lived in a disconnected society. Where sometimes the only connectedness we have is through a screen or through a phone. We forget the fact that the church of Christ, Christianity, is a system in which we are to be connected. I could go further with this illustration. You can think about the breakdown of the family system. You can think about how over the years society has declined because of this lack of connectedness. But I think you get the point. The flip side to that is the kingdom of God brings connectedness. In all of our brokenness, in all of our disconnectedness, is that a word? I just made it up. The kingdom of God is not like that. And Paul is saying, listen, we are connected. As brothers and sisters who have been adopted, we are connected to one another. We are the body of Christ, one faith, one baptism, one Lord, one spirit. This is why, honestly, I love the Presbyterian form of government. All of it's good and bad and right and wrong, whatever you may think. I like it because it forces us to be connected. It has this theology in its polity. It's how we operate. It's why your elders will go to presbytery quarterly. They go because they have a vote. <laughs> no, they go because we are a connected denomination so that we hold one another accountable to the gospel. So we make wise decisions together knowing that we are connected. So we may be encouraged in our faith by one another. And then once a year, we go to General Synod. So we go to be a part of Something bigger than ourselves. Knowing that it's not just us. There are many churches who hold the gospel. Who proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And we see the connectedness when we go to these things. Some of you don't get to experience that. And I'm sorry that you don't. If you ever want to go, let me know. I'll take you with me. You can be my guest. You can't vote, but you can be a, a, a guest. You miss out. Come, go to a presbytery meeting and just sit in the back and see the connectedness. Because I think sometimes we get so 
focused on the local or, or just on ourself that we don't understand the connectedness of the church. Now, let me apply this real quick. It means we're connected to one another. I told you this morning that look around and see who normally sits by you who's not here. Call them. You should be concerned with them. You, can, you should wonder where they are. You know, Sunday morning isn't the only time we're allowed to talk to one another. We need to stop acting like the world disconnected from one another and be connected. Not just on Sunday, but throughout the week. Enough on that. Christianity is connectional. Christianity also, verse 3 through 4, is liberating. You know, I've said this multiple times. We have the message that this disconnected world needs. Yet so often we neglect to give it to them. And what is this message? These are some glorious verses right here in 3 and 4. I want us to really spend a little bit of time here. Look at it. So after he mentions going up to Jerusalem, he says, But even Titus, who was with me, was not found to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because a false brother secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. What's Paul saying? He's using, first of all, he's using Titus as an example to say the issue that the Galatians are facing is this. They are adding something to the very simple freeing gospel message. They are saying there's something required in addition to faith in Jesus Christ, and it's circumcision. And Paul is saying, no, that isn't true. Don't add anything to the gospel. The requirement for Titus to be called brother in Christ, which is very liberating and freeing, is faith and nothing more. As a matter of fact, anything added... What does Paul say? It's slavery. He said, there are some who have come in, who have crept in, who have added these things and are trying to bring you back into slavery. Now think about that for a second. It's a very foreign concept for us in America. We don't really understand it, do we? Nobody really owns us. What he's saying here is if you've added something to the gospel message, you are a slave to the law. You are now owned by the law. You are now owned by circumcision or whatever the requirement is that you're adding to the gospel. And so therefore, Paul has every right to call these brothers false brothers. That they have crept in. That they're leading you astray. And earlier we read, and, and he tells us in chapter 1, they should, they should be cast out. They're anathema. Let them be gone. Why? Because they are adding to the gospel. They are teaching and preaching legalism. Or that there's another way to Jesus Christ other than faith. Now let me clarify a nuance here. Obedience is different. Obedience for the believer 
in Jesus Christ. Seeking to obey Him is different than legalism. Obedience to Jesus Christ is what happens when when we have been given this faith and we have a a regenerated heart and we have a belief in Jesus Christ so that we want to serve Jesus and love Jesus and obey God. That's not... um, an addition to the gospel. That's not what is required to be saved. The gospel is very simply put, faith in Jesus Christ. And in that, Paul is saying, that is freedom. Freedom in Jesus Christ. Think about that. Christianity is liberating. If only the world And our friends and our family who don't know what this means could understand and have ears to hear and eyes to see what it means to not be held accountable for our sin. To not be held accountable and be under God's wrath. Isn't that something you would want them to know? Isn't that news that is good? That there's freedom in Jesus Christ. In a world of guilt and shame, we should seek to offer this freedom of the gospel, of freedom in Jesus Christ. The world judges on so many things, doesn't it? Think of your own life. Think of your own occupation. Think of your own calling. Think of what you do. We're judged all the time. Do you look pretty? Are you young? Do you drive the right car? Do you have the right job? Do you have enough money? All of these things the world is bringing into your living room, sometimes on television, but into your life. You're challenged constantly. How do you compare to your peers, to your coworkers? What are your credentials? Are you qualified? All of these things, we're inundated with them. Let me go ahead and mention societal differences. What side of the tracks are you from? Where I grew up, that was a legit question. What neighborhood are you from? Who do you know? Oh, you're one of those. You hang out with who? The world judges. And in that, we sometimes feel guilt and shame, depending on how we answer those questions. But folks, church, Christianity, isn't like that. It's not a social club. And it doesn't even matter where you're from. When I invite you to come to the communion table, or maybe when you were baptized, or maybe your first time in church, did somebody ask you if you were from the right side of the tracks? before they allowed you to come to commune with Jesus. If they did, they were wrong. And I hope that's not the case. My point is this. Church is not an organization like society, like the world. Matter of fact, it's just the opposite. The church is for all men. All men who have been called and have answered the call 
in faith who have been called by Jesus Christ. The only requirement for entrance into this Christian church is faith in Jesus Christ. See, sometimes I think we make it more convoluted than it is. That's why Paul is even writing this to say, Titus, he was a Greek, but he wasn't circumcised because he had faith. He was a believer in Jesus Christ. There's nothing more that needs to happen. Are we adding more to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are we making church a social club? Are we asking these types of questions? Or are we making it simple? And asking ourselves, do I have faith in Jesus Christ? Do I believe that he was dead, buried, and raised? Ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of God the Father. Do I believe this? Let us not add to that very simple claim. Christianity is connectional. As we've seen, Christianity is also liberating. Nothing to be added to the gospel. But lastly, Christianity is historical. And this one is a little bit of a stretch, so let me define historical. Look at verse 5. After Paul says all these things to them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. The whole reason for his argument here is to preserve the truth, the gospel, for you. For you and I. For us. For yes, the church of Galatia, but for us today as well. Christianity is historical. This is important. We need to draw a distinction We need to draw a distinction between what we believe as Christians, we know to be true, as opposed to the world's accusation that it is some weird ideology or philosophy or false belief. See, God doesn't work outside of history. God works in a very real way in this world. You know this because he's probably worked in your life a time or two. And you've experienced that and you know that. But so often, the accusers will say that you are bigoted. That you are fundamentalist. That you believe in these weird ancient ideologies. And that's not true, is it? But that's the accusation. And Paul says, to that... We did not yield in submission. In other words, I've not changed my view of the gospel. Those that are trying to add to the gospel, uh, we we did not yield in submission. In other words, we have kept the purity of the gospel so that we may preserve it for you. The church must never submit to another gospel. History is God's reality. It is God working and preserving this gospel as we talked about last week. He's preserving this gospel through the apostles so that you may believe, so that we may believe. Think about that. That God ordained, and again, 
I don't have time to really expand on this thought. But look how often in the Old Testament God preserves His people, His lineage, so that Christ may be born. So that Christ may do the work that He needs to do to save the world. And here God is preserving again the Gospel through Paul. And saying, don't add to it. Don't take away from it. But see the freedom in it. God is working in real time and real space throughout Scripture as He saves and preserves His Word and His people. But He's also working today in our church and in our life. He's preserving the Gospel in our life. The things that we go through in this life are not so that we have a better theology or a better philosophy, better ideologies. No, it's for His glory. And the thing that gives Him the most glory is a very simple message of the Gospel. So that others may have faith in Jesus Christ. So you may have faith in Jesus Christ. A liberating faith. See, that's Christianity. It's, it's wrapped up in this gospel message. It's a real historical flow where God preserves the gospel so that others may come to know Him, so that you may come to know Him through this very simple message. As a church we want to see peace and purity at a local level, at a bigger level, we need to have one common bond. The one that's already there. One common goal. The one that's already there. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to interact with one another in light of the gospel. We need to interact with ourselves in light of the gospel. We need to interact with the world in light of the gospel. Is this your goal? Because if your goal is something else, if it is something else, then it's going to be hard to have peace and purity in this church and in your life. Peace and purity comes when the gospel is preserved. Paul teaches us here that Christianity is connected, it's liberating, it's historical, and that all of these things coming together with the gospel being at the center will bring peace and purity. I know sometimes they feel like a, a donut burger. I don't know how to take peace and purity. How do you do that? How do you have peace but not confront people about and hold them accountable to the gospel. How do you do that? I'll re simply remind you that your vows that you've taken as a member of this church or another church usually end in something like this. Chapter 7, or verse 7 of our form of government. In loving obedience, you submit yourself to the government and discipline of this church, promising to seek the peace, purity, and prosperity of the congregation as long as you are a member of it. Peace and purity. 
go hand in hand. How? Very quickly. They go hand in hand when we realize we're connected and we start holding each other accountable. Not holding each other accountable to what I think is right and wrong. Holding each other accountable to we hold the gospel true. Are we focused on the gospel? If we're focused on something else, maybe there's something else going on. So accountability to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Also, when we remind ourselves of the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. Not adding to the burden of our brothers and sisters. Not adding to the burden of ourselves, But living in the gospel and God's grace and saying there's freedom in this. And we need to understand that the church is historical. Real people, real time being used by God for His glory. What if we started reminding each other constantly, not only of the gospel, but how God is using the gospel in each other's lives? What if I started telling you how God was working in my life? And not so that I might get glory, but so that He might get glory. So that he might be praised. My prayer for us. Yes. Peace and purity. Of the church. But that we may be. A gospel centered church. Not adding to. Or making. The gospel harder. But living. In the freedom that Christ presents to us. So that we're not guilty like these men who have snuck in and are to be cast out. But that we are faithfully preserving the gospel so that it might be presented in our life, in the lives of others, in our town, in our community. Is the gospel central in your life? Once it is, we can start talking about peace and purity. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you for your word, O oh Lord, and thank you. We ask that you would move us in our heart, renew us in our mind, strengthen us in our faith, as we cling to you, our Lord and Savior, in all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And so now let us receive the benediction. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.